Welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through M&A projects where we've been involved in the course of our careers, unpacking the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose in doing this is to leave you, the listener, with valuable lessons and experiences that you can use in your own M&A projects. So without wasting any more time, let's get this podcast underway. So Toby, COVID is almost at an end now. All the restrictions are lifted. Yeah. 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 With but any luck, it, lockdowns are going to be a thing of the past. I think so. And we, my wife's going back to work. In fact, Thursday, she's in the office for the first time again. So people are going back to CBD offices, businesses are opening back up again, etc. And we're all sort of going back to stuff we used to. Hmm. And it, it refreshed my thoughts of like, well, hang on a minute. Toby and I started doing this podcast when COVID hit. And we it, it wasn't because of that, but you and I were just having a conversation and we thought, well, why don't we do that? Yes. 18 months later. Yes, with how many episodes have we done, Robert? How many how, how many podcasts have we done? Is it spine, se- spine sexist or sixty two as the gym? Sixty two, yeah, and several thousand downloads. I think, yeah. So it hasn't been bad, and it's interesting to see, looking at everything in the past we've done, what what's been most popular in terms of the most popular of all podcasts, which I find fascinating, but also yep. the varied content. We really did cover an awful lot of ground. There's no we, doubt. We, yeah. we, we went through everything from the whole M&A process from beginning to very end, from strategy, looking for potential acquisition targets, due diligence, the legal side, the yep. leadership side, certainly the post-integration side. But we, I don't think we hardly left a stone unturned. I, I actually broke it down into three very broad headings because when you yeah. look through those episodes, yeah. we started talking about the things that make an M&A project successful. Yes. And, and to your point you've just made, we covered a hell of a lot of ground in that area. Hmm. But then about halfway through, we did a bit of a, a switch and we actually started talking about horror stories. We did. And I think that's true to sort of like M&A stories. And yeah. I think, you know, the best way to learn, I think, how to from do mistakes. things better and not make mistakes, is to learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. And we covered quite a few M&A failures and we unpacked why they'd failed. And in a lot of cases, it was because of egos. Mm. It was because lack of governance. It was because of uh, power being concentrated in a few people. Yes. And in many, many cases, it was because of the once the deal was done, there was no real vision and strategy in yeah. terms of executing the post-deal outcomes. Yeah, it's funny you say that, Robbie. I often think it often comes down to simply poor behavior, that, that people sometimes <laughs> yes. behave badly. And as a consequence of that, you often don't have a proper strategy or a proper vision, a proper plan. Well, and you're you're doing things sort of like shooting from the hip, from the seat of your pants. And M&A is not like that. You you do I, need to have a predetermined approach as to how you're going to do things. So there's an orderly and rational way about finding and acquiring and integrating businesses. 
Well, one of the ones that sticks in my head, and it's one of yours, was when you uh, were talking about Fred the Shred, as you called him. Yes. Right? M&A disaster. Yeah. Yeah. And that was was a, a classic of a single individual riding roughshod over everything. Yes, yes. Um, with an ego bigger than anything you've ever come across and so confident in his own bullshit that it, it, I think it nearly collapsed the UK economy. Didn't it? it did. It, it, yeah. is, uh, it is fascinating. And what I find interesting about all this is that this borders on white-collar crime. So do people find themselves actually being prosecuted in a criminal uh-huh. sense? Correct. It, it's it is it is interesting that CEOs aren't prosecuted and uh, do not face some sort of sentencing. Very very true. And yep, prisons are full of poor people. But uh, the other thing that we also did, and by the way, Fred the Shreds is sort of a good example of it. Yeah. In the la- in the latter parts of it, we started talking about actual leadership itself mm. and the qualities of leadership that make or break. M&A. And there's great examples out there of really strong leaders that tend to set the vision and take take people with them. And of course, there's examples of people that are uh, total mavericks and believe that, you know, everybody should do exactly what they tell them to do and everything in between, of course. You know, what we as we went through these 62 episodes, we did a lot of episodes on how you might actually go about the processes, whether it's in due diligence or planning or or yep. the um, negotiation aspects of, of M&A. We talk about teams and how, the importance of teams, but of course, the uniting thing against all, all of this, and it really does come down to this, is leadership and the right leadership behaviors. Yeah. And... If I was going to say, well, what is the single most important thing to get right in this and to be successful in the long term, it is about leadership and looking for people to lead a certain part of the M&H, either run the entire transaction or to do the the pre-deal side or the post-deal side. It's the leadership qualities matters far more than the actual substance in itself. But the substance of itself in terms yeah. of process and procedures, you can pick that up. But it's hard <laughs> not to have those right leadership qualities up front. Well, to your point, processes and mechanisms of M&A are like following a bouncing ball to some degree, right? But you're right. At varying levels across an M&A transaction, you want very strong people-centric leadership and it's one of those topics that you say leadership and it it can mean a million things to different people but at the end of the day it's people who can create a vision and they can communicate that vision and they can instill excitement in people around them and they can manage risk and they can take those people with them on that journey yeah I think it's, it's it's important. I think the journey metaphor, it's a commonly used metaphor journey, but I can't get away from the fact that it is a very powerful metaphor. metaphor. And I think of the M&A leaders shepherding people through yep. a terrain which might be rocky, it can be uncertain, and yep. sometimes you need to make decisions quickly and on the fly, but knowing that there's a terrain you're going through and there's a broad sense in terms of what that direction you are going in. And yep. so it's that guiding, shepherding, coaching, 
facilitating approach yep, that is so important to bring people together. And when that's not done, that's when you get fallout, ambiguity, recrimination. And it's, it comes down to the leader not properly communicating at those certain times when communication is so important so people understand their own circumstances and that it's less ambiguous for them. So they have greater certainty in terms of what they need to do. So they're empowered and they're given direction. And that's ultimately all that people are looking for. That's also important as well. And at the end of the day, those leaders that we're talking about will hold themselves accountable for the success of a project. We actually did an entire podcast just on accountability in we itself. Did. We did. It's actually yep. breaking accountability down because one of the, it's, accountability <sighs> is one of those words. And I don't think people really understand what accountability really is. Well, if I remember that um, one, it was it was something titled like, what's the difference between responsibility and accountability? It, it is. And I, yeah, and I think when we talked about responsibility and accountability, I think we talked about accountability is something which is very deeply personal. And it, it, it actually... It's more to do with a recognition or a sense of humility that ultimately we are humans and accountability involves pain. So inevitably there's an element of pain that you go through. But through that pain, I think there becomes a great sort of liberating quality or a, or a sense of achievement that comes from. But it, it's not an easy path. And no. it's much easier to flee accountability than to embrace it. Let's put it that way. And sometimes in our corporate environment, there's a certain political expediency to avoid accountability. And that's what really distinguishes leaders is the way they approach accountability. And because they're not afraid of damage to their own personal I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say, but they they're fearless. Yeah, so there has to be there's there's courage. It requires certain courage because you may be running counter to the political side of yep. a way an organization might work, yep. you know, and, and what might be considered to be expedient. It, so there's a sort of certain level of pragmatism or political pragmatism that people adopt, which effectively is a way of helping people avoid accountability, but basically makes everybody look good or whatever. But it's not the way to go. If you are steering major change for an organization, which ultimately what MA is. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, that actually, I, I'm just thinking through all of that hmm. because those are the episodes that we did. We're all around that, around leadership qualities, around accountability, around yes. the principles of leadership, what made good or bad leaders. Yes. And one, one of the things that we always summarized on was that you can't train someone be a good leader yep uh, so, some of it is your own persona if you like the way that you work and act yes mm. it comes from lifetimes of experience sometimes and, you know mm. all that sort of stuff but leaders aren't they're not made as such they're yeah. partly born that way yes it's interesting do you remember rob we did on one podcast we talked about hewlett packard's disasters acquisition of autonomy yeah and that was such an extraordinary story and i reason why it's one of the biggest m&a disasters out there there was to talk about leadership they had a chief financial officer and she got up in front of the board and said to everyone 
don't do this deal. Now, when she got up in the front of the board, she thought she was going to get sacked. Yeah. Because she was saying something that was counter to what the uh, chief financial officer, I mean, the chief executive officer wanted to do, and the deal team. So the deal team were for it. The CEO was for it. They had primed the board, so they're all for it. And she came out of the loan's voice saying, don't do this. And she was yeah. roundly ignored. But the thing is, that takes bravery. That's the courage. Get up there. It's the courage. You yeah. know, she knew that this was wrong. It wasn't the right deal for HP at the time. It's when you have a belief in your conviction towards something. It is. It is. It's an understanding right versus wrong. Yes, yeah, irrespective, not- irrespective of what the outcome might be. Exactly. To you personally, yes, there's a moral principle or a standing that these yes. people have where there's a bigger good to be done here and it goes well beyond me as an individual and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to I think said. if I was going to say one leadership quality that that really um, talks about, and that is integrity, uh, is, yeah. is, is having that integrity to be able to get up and say things that, that this is what it is, this is what I believe is right, this is what I believe is wrong, and not to be kowtowed by what might be considered politically expedient. Yeah, I agree. And one of the words that I'd add to that, and I remember now the podcast where we talked about this, mm. is consistency. Yes. Right? And that's something else you see from strong leaders. They are consistent in their approach. Yes. They're not nasty one day and no. happy the next. No. no, They are absolutely consistent in the way that they do things and the way they're perceived by external and internal people. Mm. And that, again comes well it's it's for me it is part of the integrity it is very much so very much so yeah. yes one of the things that i noticed is that even though we did about 12 or 15 or so episodes purely dedicated to the art of leadership mm. it was an actual thread that ran through almost everything we talked of about. course it does yes i know and i'd say the common theme to all of these in the background was leadership but we may not have spoken to it directly we may have talked about the manifestation of leadership or yeah we spoke maybe to leadership through say the lens of process or through the lens of due diligence or through the lens of planning and strategy we certainly covered a hell of a lot of ground we did i was going to ask you rob as we sort of talk about these episodes we did. Are there some, for you personally, what do you see as your your big takeaways or the insights that you think that perhaps you had before, but made it more profound or to you as a result of us doing these 62 episodes again? I think for me, still this, and I, I've said this too many times, it sounds like yeah. a broken record. Yeah. Right? I look at M&A like that proverbial jigsaw puzzle. Right. And if you don't put all the pieces together in the right order, right, you, you are not going to get the right outcome. So for, for me, m is sort of, a, it, it's got two tiers to it. Tier one is, is the physical jigsaw puzzle and all the pieces yeah. you've got to put together to, to make the vision come to reality. Yeah. But, but tier two is the people level. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 
we've talked about leadership and a lot of people will sit there and go, oh, yeah, well, I know some great leaders and so on. But leadership is actually a quality that applies at multiple levels in an M&A project. So the guy who's actually running the mechanics of the transaction needs to be a strong leader as well as a strong practitioner in terms of keeping all the ducks in line. The, the, The overall project lead on a transaction needs to be able to grasp the big picture, but understand the detail mm. and also be able to communicate exceptionally well across all levels of the business. So it's, it's a complex affair and it's not for the faint hearted. No. Right. And if no. you're not, if you, you've got to be able to operate at 10 o'clock this morning in a board meeting, addressing an issue that the CEO wants to talk about. Mm. And this afternoon, you've got to be down in the weeds in the planning department, going through the minute detail, what needs to be done next week for systems integration. Yes, yes. So I think you've got to, yeah, so it's attention to detail, but also seeing the big picture. So operating both opposite ends. Yeah, and being able to make that switch. Yeah. I was going to say, for me, because it's given me the opportunity to really sort of reflect and about sort of past 20 years of um, yeah. work in this field. And I think what it is for me is about, I, I, was, I wrote the word patterns down. It's understanding m and is patterns. You, there's no one process you follow from where to go. No. But there are patterns. And the the key or the trick or the secret source to success is understanding patterns. And it's the patterns in terms of, for this particular type of deal, these are the sorts of things that you need to be doing. Knowing that every deal is unique, there are certain steps and things that you do connected to that type of deal that you would be doing. And it's understanding, anticipating, having that foresight what pattern that follows. That is key because then you're taking a much more eclectic approach to the way you bring yourself forward. You can offer solutions and give that leadership to that particular deal. But your approach is very much geared specifically to the deal in hand. And the way you do that is by understanding the patterns it follows Similar to similar deals in the past, similar sort of patterns, and offering an eclectic, something that's new and different, specifically geared towards that deal. It's almost like, I was going to say, it's almost like an mRNA vaccine approach, where you're actually offering a, a, a very coded solution to the particular problem, but it's providing a, a very specific way of dealing and leading the particular deal. Yep based upon the attributes of that deal and the patterns it has. The, the word I use often is model, right? It's the same thing. And what I realized in my career is that you, you go into a business, and this applies not just to M&A, it applies to all sorts of project yeah. management. Mm-hmm. But you go into a business and you get involved in a project of some sort or an acquisition, mm-hmm. and you store that experience in your head. Yes. Uh, model number one right and as you go through more and more of these experiences you store those models but you reach a point in time where you go into one you go hang on a second this is very much like model number two yes these peculiarities that i need to be conscious of and i need to take account of yes 
And, oh, by the way, there's a new bit over there that I haven't experienced yet, so let's see how we're going to work that out. Yeah. And that becomes model number seven. And you're yes. all, all the time, you building this memory bank of, as you say, well, I say models, you say. I use the word patterns, but it's a similar thing, uh, Rob. You know, you're, you're coming up with a hypothesis as to how you might approach this particular deal, but that's based upon previous hypotheses yes. that, you've, that have demonstrably worked in the past. Yes. Your experience has showed you that through applying that hypothesis, through what you've learned and, and, the, uh, and the results, that those, those theories have been correct in the past. Yep. Here it doesn't apply because it's not quite the same sort of thing. You create a new hypothesis, but it's a pretty darn good one because it has elements of things that have definitely worked in the past. It's interesting. You raise a good point there because walk into a new M&A project and you might go in there and you look at it and you go, this is like hypothesis number five or model yeah. number five or whatever. But your experience and your intelligence tells you that you cannot simply copy everything you did in model number five no, you cannot. and stick it in place here because it will well, fail dramatically. Fabulously. So the experience layer comes in again of knowing what you can put in vanilla and where you've got to pay attention to the quirks and differences yes. that the deal it's a bit of an 80-20 rule to some yeah. degree, yeah. but of course the experience is knowing what that 20% is. <laughs> yes, 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 right? yeah, indeed. Because, for example, some deal might be more operationally focused, looking to achieve economies of scale or, or within yep. a certain industry. But then you might have another deal that's more product-led, more customer-led. Yep. And that, the modus operandi, and the hypothesis you might have will be entirely and diametrically different. It's one that might be looking to achieve scale in a traditional industry. Agreed. And in fact, the other thing I was going to say is that you can have two businesses which at least on the outside look almost the same, but the people in them can make an absolute major difference to the way you approach it. And I'll give you a good example. In, in, in my past experience, over the course of about three years, I got involved in two projects with companies that you would say were identical almost, mm. right? With one major exception. The CEO of company number one was very much an operations guy, and his focus was on running the factory efficiently good yields, good throughputs, good efficiencies, quality control, all that sort of stuff. In business number two, the CEO was more commercially focused. It was about getting stuff to customers on time, getting the customers the right product, selling in the right marketplace at the right price. Mm. So their mindset, even though both companies were almost identical to look, the way that they operated and the culture of both of those businesses was very, very different because it was driven by different leadership styles. Yes, indeed, indeed. I think what we're saying here is that in any deal, you can get a million variations on a theme, and the skill of someone in M&A is being able to draw on past experiences, yes. your expertise in the topic, in the subject, and your intelligence and be able to know and 
direct what needs to be done specifically in this scenario yes. to drive the outcomes that's needed. Yes. So often, it's, in, it's interesting, Robert, you really do need an outsider quite often to help steer that because they have a way of seeing things from an outside-in yes. perspective Yeah. because from the inside, it may not be so obvious what the right thing to do might be given a, a certain scenario. Sometimes it's wood for trees and, yeah, I'm conscious of time, mm. but do you want to – have you got any favourites? That- yeah, I, I think – my favourite probably would have been Yahoo's M&A Murder of Flickr. Yes. Yep, that, yep. that one was quite emotional because it was what not to do if you're acquiring a startup business. Yahoo's not up there with Facebook. It's not up there with Google or Microsoft nope. or <coughs> Apple. And it's for perhaps this acquisition, which was actually quite a small one, which precipitated its demise. So I was going to say that's possibly one of my favorite podcasts. And the other one I have, I'll just, it's just one more, and that's M&A integration is the enemy of innovation. You yes. know, Rob, I've, bumped, I've gone on and banged on and on and on and on and on forever about innovation on these podcasts. I think sometimes innovation is something that just gets it's squished. It, it gets missed. Yeah. And yeah. people lose total sight as to what they want to try and achieve from their M&A initiatives. And I think sometimes it kills the very thing that you want to nurture. Well, I think one of the things you called out in that particular podcast was you, you can often see an M&A integration, and it goes through its usual routines mm. and gets to an end and you've got the synergies and all that sort of stuff sorted out and the mm. two businesses are now bolted together. And then someone goes, oh, right, okay, now let's see what we can innovate. And what I remember you clearly saying was, no, 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 no. Innovation is something you need to consider at the beginning. It is. You need, you need to look at the qualities of what you've got and you need to recognize what innovative opportunities exist that that weren't there before but could now be created bringing the two businesses together. Yes. So it becomes part of the journey again. It, it is. It's a different modus operandi, Rob. It's, yeah. not, the, it's not what is taught or or commonly discussed in books it's a different way of working and i think a lot of organizations suffer and don't get the value from their deals because they don't adopt a more innovative way of understanding and managing an an m&a acquisition well let's face it and this is probably doing a disservice to some degree but a large percentage of the m&a deals that go through are just about maximizing revenue, reducing costs, slimming down the organization, getting the efficiencies and the organizational structure changes that can be achieved. And that's it. Dare I say it, the big four come along with their playbook and they follow their bouncing balls to, yeah. to do that. That can give you an outcome, but that outcome is actually quite minuscule in terms of the overall benefit that you could achieve if you yeah. take an innovative view yeah. on a deal. Well, the big accounting firms often think take a very dull approach 
and they don't help their customers in achieving or maximizing the value from the deals because they do have their ready-made playbooks, their checklists and, and uh, templates. By all means, they, they achieve certain immediate synergies. But quite frankly, that's not that hard to do. And they're being rewarded no. handsomely for things that I would consider to be low-hanging fruit. The okay. harder thing is to engender a, a, a more innovative way of looking, identifying, articulating, and introducing innovations as part of the whole M&A integration exercise. Yeah. Now, you've, you've gone for some high and lofty topics there in your favorites. Mm-hmm. I went the opposite way. And there was two or three that I, I pulled out simply because they created some amusement or enjoyment for me. One of them was what we deemed the case of the missing trousers. I was wondering whether you're going to bring that one up. I, I thought, here we go. He's going to bring that one up. Yeah. That was particularly because the message in this one, does it again, it comes down to leadership, but it also comes down to being transparent in your behavior. And it also comes down to that other topic we've been talking about, which is consistency. In this case, uh, a deal had completed and the leadership team were rightfully celebrating the success of the deal. And a particular executive in that leadership team took it on to uh, eagerly and was drinking too much and, shall we say, celebrating too heavily. And his his behaviour was not in line with what you'd expect from a corporate executive. And the message is that, you know, M&A is a serious topic. Mm. And even though there are celebrations of success, mm. you're on show and you cannot afford to be seen to be misbehaving because it sends a bad signal to everybody else, including your external customers. It's interesting you use the word transparency because that is such an important aspect of everything that you do, M&A being no exception. And just want to highlight that, and I don't know if you've been following it, is the Elizabeth Holmes trial. And yep. if I was going to say one thing as the reason why she's actually on trial and potentially might be found guilty, we'll find out, it is due to a lack of transparency. So it's always operating openly and honestly with people. And if you're hiding and you're being dishonest, it can have severe consequences. And I think if I was going to say (laughs) lack of transparency, just look at the Theranos business and and that whole scandal. Dear Prime Minister. Indeed. (laughs) Well, go there. The other one uh, that uh, amused me was getting Monet and Picasso to play nicely together, which was simply, it was a a deal that I did, two sales teams that, basically did not like each other and there was a major culture clash that was threatening to uh, overturn the entire deal if we did not get um, the the two organizations working harmoniously together Mm. and I won't go into detail on that Mm. the third one was more one because I just looked at it and went you beauty and Mm. this is because of my I won't say personal a relationship, but I know Paul Little quite well yep. from Toll Group. Right? Yep. And of course, Toll Group sold out to Japan Post, mm. of which Paul became extremely wealthy from mm. it. And of course, it was an absolute disaster. And Japan Post ended up writing down 
billion. They wrote down about 80% of the deal uh, eventually. But the thing that was so good about it, from my point of view, was that eventually Japan Post sold Toll Global Express mm. to Allegro Equity. Yes. Right. For peanuts. Right. And at the same time, there was a political furor going on about our own Australia Post. Mm. And Christine Holgate, who was the former CEO. And of course, she gets fired or pushed out of Australia Post because of all the politics. And mm. where does she land up immediately afterwards? Toll Global Express. And it was <laughs> like it was almost like, yes. Yeah. It was. It was. It was karma. And yeah. those those were my three. I think. What we we both got other things that we're doing now, and I think we've decided that at least for now we'll this will yes. be our last podcast leading up to the Christmas season. Yes, don't know. We might do something in the new year. Who knows? You know, never say never. But we yep. we both got other things to do. Yes, I think all I could say in summary is it's been a blast. Yeah, I've, like I've, it's been great talking with you, uh, Rob, over the last nearly two years. What I think is an incredibly interesting topic in in business and M&A is one of the most extraordinary things and exciting things any organization can do it's the often the biggest event in corporate history and to be part of any major change in an organization like that is always exciting so I've personally been happy very happy the journey I've personally taken Um, over the past 20 years to be part of that with so many organizations and happy as well to talk with yourself about the many stories and sharing those stories in those 62 episodes we did together. Yeah, and I think uh, same for me. I I think having the opportunity to be involved in an M&A project is a privilege. Mm, Yes, it is. And it's the learning experience that you build on project by project that you, you, you just can't get it anywhere else. Yeah. Right, yep. it's a baptism of fire to some degree, and if you're not the right sort of character for it, you you will be spat out fairly yes. quickly. Ability to work under pressure, I think, is one of those things. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> to, to put it yeah. mildly, uh, yeah, exactly. And the ability to see what other people can't see, and yeah. the ability to deal with ourselves from time to time. And there's plenty of ours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So <laughs> we're going to call it quits for now. Uh, for this one. So this is the last one for 2021. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, Rob. We we will stay in touch. There's no doubt about that. We'll talk from time to time on various topics. Who knows where we'll pop up in the future? We shall see. But other than that, I think what I'd like to just say is that uh, for all the people that have listened to our podcasts, thank you. I'd like to make sure that everybody listening and all of our connections in industry and friends and family have a an enjoyable Christmas season with their family and friends, that it's safe and that we'll all see each other again. And onwards uh, with 2022. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And other than that, it's the usual sign-off to say bye for now. And goodbye.